This one on? Yep. Hi. So the reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, going on to chapter 5, verse 20. Um, And the title in my thing is Instructions for Christian Living. So it's 4.17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, good afternoon. Oh, it's great to be, uh, be with you this afternoon, to be speaking. Um, this is a fantastic uh, passage that we've got. If you've got a Bible with you, or there's one on the pew uh, near you, do, do have the, that passage open as we, um, as we try and work through it together, um, just because I'll, I'll try and refer back to it again and again, just so you can see that I'm saying the right stuff, hopefully. Um, but why don't we pray, and, uh, and then we'll get stuck in. Uh, Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that um, it is a light to our path, that you speak through it and reveal Jesus to us. And uh, Lord, we pray now that you'd, uh, you'd come and move by your spirit, or that you'd move in our hearts and our minds, and that you would form us to look like the church that you want us to be, and the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, little shout out to the uh, rolling donuts. Is that what we are? Yes. Can we just give them another round of applause? Because I thought, you guys, thank you so much. That was so, so wonderful to be led in worship by you guys. Um, Anyway, we are, we're working through this, this letter to the, uh, the church in Ephesus. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, uh, you'll know that. And, um, and so we, we've come to this point in the letter where the, 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 the letter to the Ephesians is, is kind of quite nicely, you can break it up into two parts. Um, so the first three chapters are um, Paul explaining to the church um, what it means to be recipients of the gospel, what it means that for what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his resurrection, the cosmic plan that God's been weaving together and how it has come together in Jesus and then is continuing on in the church. So the first three chapters are like this amazing like unpacking of all, all of that. And then from, from chapter four onwards, we get the sort of like, and because of that, this is what it looks like, or this is what it's meant to look like in your lives. So Paul starts to unpack it and give us some sort of really practical hooks to hang this gospel message uh, on in our, in our own lives. Um, and Joe last week started um, unpacking this sort of part of the letter for us. She spoke on the first part of Ephesians 4, um, where the focus is on the unity of the church so it's on all the, the diversity, so how different we are, all the different gifts, personalities, and people that are coming together, and how that is part of the gospel taking root in our lives, is, is that we become a people of diverse nature from all, you know, all different walks of life coming together, um, and that, that, that God is at the center of that happening. And then Paul moves on uh, to tell us what it should look like for us to live a gospel life. What does life look like if the gospel is being lived and breathed in our everyday walk uh, as, we, as we live out life? 
Uh, I don't know what, um, what you wanted to be when you were little. Just have a think for a minute. What, I don't know if, if you can remember uh, what you wanted to be uh, when you were little. I, I think I want to be a pilot. Does any, anyone else want to be a pilot when they were little? It's just oh, a couple of us. Okay, okay. Um, I want to be a pilot. Um, and, um, and I felt like from a young age, I wanted to be sort of known as someone who was on that trajectory in life, you know, to be known as someone who wanted to be uh, a pilot. I've got a friend back in Chorleywood, and she, uh, her parents always tease her because she wants to be a cow. That was the thing that she wanted to be when she was little. Whenever anyone asked her, what do you want to be? A cow. Um, I don't know how pleased she is about that now. But it's, uh, um, anyway, that was what she wanted to be. Um, and, um, and I don't know if I've told you this, but I used to be a primary school teacher uh, before I became sort of uh, involved in church ministry, um, I used to be a primary school teacher. And I remember one day in my, uh, in my classroom, I was teaching um, a group of year three children, so like seven and eight-year-old children. And um, I was sat in the lunch break in my classroom marking maths books. There were these little yellow maths books, you know, with all the squares inside. And I was going through, trying to get as many marks as I could in my lunch break so that I had a little bit more free time in the evening. And um, I remember hearing the, uh, the bell ring for the end of lunchtime play. So, so like the red pen started to move more rapidly across the paper. I was trying to get these books done. Anyway, and then all of a sudden, the classroom door just burst open. And there in the doorway was this uh, little girl who was in my class called Piera. And Piera had this lovely long blonde hair and these really piercing blue eyes. And in that moment, she stood in the doorway and she was wailing, just wailing, just And of course, like, I was slightly shocked. I was like, oh my goodness, what on earth is happening? You know? So I called Pierre in. I said, yeah, Pierre, what's going on? What's going on? Come in, come in, come in. And she's in that phase. You know, when kids get into that phase of like, they're so upset about something, they can't get their words out. <laughs> she's like, she's like oh, Mr. Wallington, Mr. Wallington. Um, I was like, it's okay, it's okay, you're safe. Whatever's happened, it's okay, you're safe. Um, she said, Mr. Wallington, it was awful. And I said, what, what was awful, Piera? Tell me, tell me what was awful. And um, she said, she said, James Pepin, who was another boy in, in our class, uh, James Pepin took me behind the cricket stumps, which were like a little board on the playground with cricket stumps painted on them. And, and then she said, and he snogged me. <laughs> and, and I was slightly sh- shocked by what she said. And uh, as you can imagine, he snogged me. And I was sort, sort of looked look puzzled at Piera. And then she went on. And, and my tooth came out. And in her hand, in a little pool of blood, was her tooth. And in that moment... I, I, was, I was so shocked about what was going on. And then I was thinking, how on earth am I going to explain to Piera's mum later what has happened you know, uh, to her daughter and how she's lost a tooth? Anyway, at that moment, James Pepin had been sent in, turned up at the door. Hello? You know. And, um, and from that moment on, James Pepin was known as a little bit of a Casanova in our classroom. You know, I like teased him about it and we you know we made it we made we made jokes but that's what he was he was known for that became like his identity in our uh, in a very weird and strange way and uh, and in this passage what Paul is starting to get at um, 
Very strange link. But Paul is starting to get at our identity, who we are and who we're going to be known as, as God's people who have the gospel, the gospel living in and through them. He's starting to unpick our identity and who we are. And so when we read through a passage like we have done today, and there seems to be a long list of don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, and don't do this, and do do this, and do do this, and do do this. It can be a bit like overwhelming at times. It's like, gosh, there's a, there's a whole load of things for me to remember here, things to not do, and things to do. You know, and I, I feel like I've said to many, many people, Christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts. You know, it's so much more than that. And then we get a passage like this that feels like a list of do's and don'ts, you know, if you're going to live out the Christian life. But what Paul is getting at is underneath all of those behaviours is our identity. That's what he's speaking into. Who you are will directly impact how you behave. Who you think you are will impact how you behave. What you believe will impact what you think will impact how you behave. And so it might sound like a list of do's and don'ts here, but underneath what Paul's really getting at is who you are as a believer of Jesus Christ, as the church, who we are as the church. And he starts in the passage that we, that we read, um, it starts in verse 17. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Okay, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. It's not often in Paul's writing that he says something and then he says, and I insist on it. It's really important. Paul's trying to get across to us something that's really, really important. I insist on it in the Lord. What does he insist on? That you no longer live as the Gentiles do. That you no longer live as the Gentiles do. What he's pointing at in, in, in the beginning of this little passage that we've got here is because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done for us, on the cross, through his life, his death, his resurrection, and that gospel truth and that gospel power living in us, you cannot possibly live like you used to. It is a life-transforming, life-altering moment when the gospel comes to live inside of us, when Jesus comes to live inside of us. He's saying you can't possibly live as you used to. Now, the people that he, were writing to, he was writing to, most of them were Gentiles, that's who they were. So, so it's kind of like saying, you know, I don't know however you associate what your nationality and everything, but like to, to British people, you know, don't be British anymore, you know. It's like, it's kind of saying, if, you, if, if there's a room full of Americans, you know, you're American, but don't be American anymore. Something has utterly changed in who you are and your identity because of what Jesus has done and him coming to live inside of you. There's a new reality and a new identity. And what I want to do is focus on verse 22 to 24. So if you've got that open, um, I'm going to focus on that bit uh, for us as I speak today. Uh, and it says this, Paul, Paul goes on, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness 
and holiness. Put off the old self and put off the new self. Now, when I've been reading this passage over and over and over for the last few weeks, trying to get ready to speak today, I, I, the question that's been just in my head over and over again is, what on earth does it look like for you and me to put off the old self and put on the new self? What does it look like for us in our jobs, in our schools, in our colleges, in universities, to wake up tomorrow morning and to put off the old and put on the new? How can we do that? How can we live in the reality of that happening in our lives? And so that's what I want to try and unpack a little bit for us um, today. Paul, when he, when he uses the word self here, the old self and the new self, it's, the word, it's a Greek word, and it basically means humanity, human. He's saying to the church, to us, put off the old human and put on the new human. And when I was trying to think up an analogy for, for how this might look, I was thinking, can I, um, you know, is it enough to, for me to put on a baseball cap, you know, when I become a Christian that says, I belong to Jesus, bang, and, and that kind of transforms who I am. Or, or can I wear my football shirt to kind of illustrate the, the, the like belonging to something, to the, the identity towards something? But none of it, nothing that I could think of that I could put on in this moment could really communicate the depth of what Paul's getting at here. He's not getting at clothing or lifestyle, you know, lifestyle in and of itself. He's getting at the humanity. He's getting at our very being. Put on the new human. Put off the old human. It's like deep. It's so, it's like all of us being transformed. It's a whole new identity that Paul is crying out for us as the church to live in, to put on. But I've got an analogy for you that hopefully might help. Okay, so um, <clears throat> let's imagine for a minute that um, Chris Edwards, I'm going to use you as, as my example, okay? This is Chris over here. Um, Chris... Uh, is, a, is an excellent chap and Chris let's imagine for a minute that Chris is going about his daily life and um, I haven't warned I didn't warn you about this if I apologize um, Chris is going about his daily life and Chris finds out um, in an, e uh, an email no let's no, not an email he gets a phone call saying Chris we found out that you are in line for the throne Chris congratulations, you know, like, who knew, you know, but like, you're in line for the throne, and some, somehow, in some way, a few weeks later, Chris gets another phone call and said, Chris, it's happened, everyone else is gone, you know, something's happened, you know, you know and you are going to be king, King Chris, and so Chris can't believe it, we're all celebrating. This is great news. Chris is going to be king of England. And Chris goes up to uh, Buckingham Palace. Say? Your house. Yes, your new house, Buckingham Palace. Chris goes up to his new house, Buckingham Palace. And he has a coronation at Westminster Abbey, whatever, you know, whatever that looks like. He's crowned king. Okay? King Chris. Everything has changed for Chris and his family. But then a couple of weeks later, you see Chris dressed in his normal clothes in Exeter at the Chiefs game with a beer in hand. You know, all his normal mates sat around him and he's just living his normal life. And you look at Chris and you're like, Chris, what's going on here? Like, 
Aren't you meant to be king? Aren't you meant to be king of England? And yet here you are just doing, like living your normal life like you always used to, like you always would have done, you know, doing the normal things that you used to do. And, and what I'm trying to get at in that moment is it's like, it's like Chris has been given this new identity, this new thing. And yet if he doesn't live in it, if he doesn't embrace it and fully enter into it, it's like he's missing, he's missing the point of what he's been given. Like imagine a butterfly that emerges from the cocoon and stays on the leaf, just eating the leaf like it used to as a caterpillar. Never exploring what it would mean to be a butterfly, to use its wings to fly up into the sky. Paul is getting, it, Paul's making the point here that in Christ and through Christ, we have been given a brand new identity, a whole new being. And he wants us to live in it and to understand what it means to live in it. He, he writes to the church in Corinth, in Corinth and he says this to them, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Now, for us as, um, as human beings, we spend lots of our lives often trying to invent or create our identity. I don't know if you think back to your, particularly maybe your teenage years, and you think, oh yeah, I went through a real phase during those years of trying to create or invent my identity. I don't know what, what, um, you, know, what, what you did to try and create or invent your identity, but I, I, I went through a phase, me and my friends went through a phase of dyeing our hair. Um, bleaching it blonde and it actually mine went orange and so did my brothers um, and we were trying during our teenage years to try and invent this new sort of like this who are we explore that that identity and and um, and and the truth is that when we come to know Jesus when Jesus comes to live in our life instead of exploring and inventing our identity creating for ourselves an identity who we are Jesus gives us our identity we don't have to look for it anywhere else anymore. We don't have to try and create it by bleaching our hair or wearing particular clothes or brands or anything else. We get given a whole new identity. And the journey that we go on in Christ is to discover, not to create our identity, to discover who we actually are in him. See the difference? All right. So I've got a couple of practical things that will hopefully help us uh, in working this out. How do you put off the old self, the old humanity, and put on the new? What practical things can you do? All right, number one is this. You've got to know in your heart and your head who you are to begin to put off the old self. You've got to know in your heart and your head who you are. Verse 18 in the passage that we read talks about the Gentiles and it says this, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now what Paul's saying is their, their thinking, their darkened understanding or their, like, their ignorance to the truth of the gospel is due to the hardening of their hearts. It begins with the heart before it goes into the head. 
And the true is the same is true for us. If we're going to put off the old self, we've got to know in our hearts who we are. And that has got to filter into our heads before it comes out in our actions and in our behaviors. Does that make sense? Yeah? Paul talks in, in, in the letter to the Romans. He says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How you think will determine how you behave. Behavior follows our identity. Okay, so we've got to believe and we've got to know in our heart and our head who we actually are, our identity. And we've been working through that in some of the earlier part of Ephesians. All right, number two. We've got to know, if we're going to put off the old self and put on the new self, what to fight for. Okay, so there's a few things that we've got to fight for in order to really embrace this. First of all, and Joe spoke about it last week, community. The community of the church. The community of the church will tell us um, when we are not matching up to who we really are, hopefully. That's part of what we're meant to do to one another, for one another, is tell each other when we're not matching up to who we actually are, to living like we really are. And hopefully, they're going to affirm as well who we really are, our identity, whether that's pointing us to scripture or speaking over us prophetically, who we really are, calling out gifting in us, what God's really put in us. Part of our job as a, as a church family is to encourage one another with the truth, isn't it? To, to be shoulder to shoulder, to encourage one another. And there's something really, really special that happens when we do that. But community is something we've got to really fight for. We've got to, like, we've got to really, really commit to and fight for. What's another thing we've got to fight for? We've got to recognize <clears throat> when things come into our minds that don't align with who we really are in Jesus, with the new identity that Jesus has given us. When things come into our heads and our minds and we start thinking about things that aren't, don't align with who we really are, we've got to start to recognize that stuff. And we've got to, what Paul, Paul talks about in another letter is we've got to take those thoughts captive. Say, no, I, I tell you to go under the feet of Jesus, those thoughts. That is not who I am. A few years ago, after I was teaching, I am... Um, I, my first job in ministry was as, was as a youth pastor at a church in, uh, in Chorley Wood called Christchurch. And, um, and at Christchurch, I got to, um, I was, it was like a wonderful church to be part of. And I got to um, preach and teach and be part of the, of the young, young people's ministry there. Um, and there was one night, I remember, where um, I was preaching. And um, I got up to preach um, and I was due to go to a conference later that week to, be, um, to, to speak at the conference. And it was the first time I'd ever been invited to speak at a conference. So it was quite a big deal for me. And I wasn't quite sure if I was up to it, if you know what I mean. Um, I was slightly concerned that they might have invited the wrong person. Um, and uh, anyway, I got up to preach at Christchurch on Sunday night before this conference. And I preached this message that was terrible. And I could tell it was terrible because like, there were people in the congregation who were asleep 
whilst I was preaching. Okay? Now, that's never something you want to happen. Um, and, and I could see this is not going well. Like, people are bored, people are tired, pe- that guy's asleep, you know, it's not going well. And I remember putting, um, uh, like, getting at home that night, and uh, I shut the door behind me, and I was like, oh my goodness, that was awful. And I'm going to go to a conference to speak later this week. And if I can't even speak at my own church, how on earth am I going to go and speak at this conference? How on earth am I going to go and do that? And these thoughts started coming to my head like, Bob, you should call the people who run the conference now. Call them now. I know it's late. And tell them. Tell them that you're not the person for the job. Tell them you can't do this. Tell them you're not like, you know... You, you don't know really how to talk at church or a conference or anything like that. Just tell them. Tell them you can't do it. Tell them you're not good enough. And I just remember hearing these doubts just came, came into my head over and over and over again. You're not good enough. You can't do this. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. And I remember this moment where I was just like, hang on a second. Hang on. Like, that's not the voice of my father. That's not the voice of a God who loves me. That is not the voice of the one who can encourage me in a deeper way than any other person in, this, in existence. That's not the voice of the one who loves me and gave himself for me. And I just remember saying, no, I'm going I'm to refuse to believe those things. And I was like, even if I am terrible at this, we'll find out later. But like, I'm going to choose not to agree with those voices in my head right now, telling me I can't telling me I'm not enough, telling me I'm not a, not a decent speaker or whatever, you know, whatever else it was. And I went to speak at that conference. And for me, that, speaking at that conference was one of the most transformative moments of my entire life. To see God move and speak and use me in ways that I'd never seen him do before, it was like, wow, God, I love this. I love unpacking your word I love seeing it take root in people's lives and transform people's lives. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. It was, it was utterly transformative. But if I'd, if I'd agreed with those lies that were coming into my head, if I'd not taken captive those thoughts, then I might have just backed out. I might have just walked a little less of who God really made me to be. And what else do we have to fight for? We've got to fight to take up our cross. Jesus talks about it in Matthew. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we want to step fully into the new creation, the new thing that we've been given, we want to put on the new self, then we have to say no to some things. We have to take up our cross and follow Jesus, to make some sacrifices. Later in that passage that we read, live a life of sacrifice. Take up our cross and follow him. And that will look different for each one of us. Okay, and then finally, how do we step into the new self? Well, if you read the passage, um, there's, at the end of this passage that we've read in, in, in chapter 5, um, there's, there's a real focus on words. If you if you notice that, um, but it says uh, it says in, instead uh, be filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. In verse nineteen of chapter five, speaking to one another with psalms, 
hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from, the heart, from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we step more fully into the new self? How do we put off the old self? Our words are really important in that, in declaring who we are, what we're about. If King Chris over here, you know, our anointed king, you know, was to use words and expletives as, you know, he receives his royal throne, we'd think, hang on, those words don't match up with who you are. Those words don't align with that position, with what you've been given. And the same is true for us in the new thing that we've been given, this new self, this new humanity. There are words that we are called not to say anymore. We're not meant to say, they don't align with who we are anymore. And there are words that, that do align with who we are now. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. There's something about the way we talk as God's people that is representative of who we are. The new self or the new humanity is the version of you that is created to perfectly reflect the image of God. It's the version of you that's created to perfectly reflect the image of God. Paul talks about it in other places, in other letters too. In the letters to the Romans, he says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in the letter to the, uh, to the Colossians, he says, um, you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. And then he says, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The new self is a version of you that is created to perfectly reflect the image of God. Karl Barth, a theologian, said this, and we'll finish here, that Jesus has become the version of me that I cannot become for myself. Jesus has become the version of me that I cannot become for myself. And so we are invited to put on the new self, to clothe ourselves with Christ, to be the version of you that is created to perfectly reflect the image of God. And we need his spirit to do it. We need his spirit to help us to step fully into that new self. So why don't we stand, if you're able, and we're just going to pray into that for a second. It was quite a lot as I was talking. I was very aware. I'm sorry if that was too much. But um, why don't we just ask the Lord by his spirit just to put his finger on something for each of us that he wants to, to work in our hearts and our lives in a deeper way. So that might be, might be helpful just to close your eyes for a second.
Just give him some space and some time. As we ask the question, Lord, what needs to change in my life for me to fully step into the image of God? The new self that reflects your image. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now you begin just to illuminate in our hearts and our minds what needs to change. It might be for some of us there are we know that there's patterns of thought and behaviors that we know just don't match up with the new self and we might just want to bring those to the Lord now and say God would you renew the way that I think would you change the way that I think so it aligns with who I am and what you've done for me some of us it might be like a, a real deep down knowing that we we're not sure in our hearts of the truth of who we are of the new self that God's given us and there's a deep work in our hearts that you're just longing to experience to know more fully who you are Holy Spirit we just pray pray you come and meet us in our in the deepest places of our beings and I'll speak the truth that we are made new in you that because of your life your death and your life and your resurrection you have given us a new humanity a new way to live 